Welcome to episode 13 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, James Gardner. Let's go. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with James Gardner, who, as he says, is an athletic therapist by trade, but really so much more than that, and a man who wears many hats in pursuit of creating better humans around him and becoming a better human himself. It's already become quite a theme on the podcast where there are many of us who call ourselves one thing, we have some title based on our background or our education or something that we just use to describe ourselves to the outside world, but really, we're trying to aggregate all of the information to do all of the things to build better humans because there is no one singular path or methodology to get there. It's not just training. It's not just therapy or nutrition or breathwork or meditation. It's all of the things all together, all mixed in with intention and applied with consistency over time. And James does a really great job of aggregating these things and sharing his message through First Star Therapy, through performance wellness, and through all of his platforms. James has a wealth of knowledge and experience from working with the who's who of professional baseball to living in an ashram in the Bahamas. And this is such an interesting story and such a crazy experience. And we got into a little bit about why James went to the Bahamas, why he moved his family there, the story about what happened while he was there and how he got into the ashram, and most importantly, what he took back from all of that when moving his family back to Toronto in the middle of a pandemic of all things. So James is a really excellent guy. If you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen me sharing about the intro and advanced recalibration courses that I took with James earlier this year. And I highly, highly recommend everyone check those out. And we spoke about what it is later in the episode and the the links to those will be in the show notes of this episode as well. So definitely check that out. But James just has so much good stuff to share and this message needs to be spread as far and wide as possible. And I don't say that from an egotistical place. I say that from a, this needs to help people in the world place. So if you can definitely share this one with a friend for sure. And that's that I will stop rambling now so that we can listen to James speak and hear all the things that he has to share. So thank you very much for listening, for your time and attention. And here it is, James Gardner. Podcast mode is turned on and we're here with James. James, how are you? Hey, good, man. Yourself. I'm doing well. The, the, the awkward second hello is past us and we can just be normal people now. Sure. Yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's a thing, I don't know if that is a thing, but uh, awkwardness has always been in my repertoire. So we might as well just roll, roll with that. <laughs> that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate your time as always. Um, why don't we just get started? Just introduce yourself a little bit to, to the listeners who may not know you. Yeah, sure. No, thank you for having me. It's always uh, always great to, to speak with like-minded people and um, in keeping with my theme of personal development, professional development. Uh, once again, I'm not the smartest person in the room, so I, I adore that. So thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully get to share uh, a little bit about myself, a little bit about the background, but more importantly, a little bit about you know growth and resiliency and all these different things that we're all navigating together as humans. Um, as mentioned, my name is James, James Gardner. Uh, I have a master's of science in kinesiology um, and health sciences. That's That was an epidemiological review of, of knee injuries in the varsity population in the Canadian universities system. Um, we had some overlap, I guess, at York University. Uh, I was there as an athletic therapist. So by trade, I'm an athletic therapist, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, um, and a yoga practitioner, yoga teacher. Um, but I think more now than ever before, just an aware human being that's trying to share a lot of that outward for people to either find in themselves or to help guide to more of themselves. And that's kind of where things have happened and where we've sort of crossed paths again here through, you know, one of your recent guests through Matt and uh, um, I'm sure we'll get to that story as well, but um, yeah, lots of titles, lots of experience and uh, 
lots of stories to share and, and hopefully shed some light for some listeners out there. So again, appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you having me on and for everybody listening to this, hopefully uh, you, you tune in and then tune out when you're ready. Of course. No, I love that. And I, and I love how you say that by trade, you're an athletic therapist because it's not what you are. It is, it is one of the many hats that you wear in terms of professional work, you know, doing things in the world, you have to do something with your time. So athletic therapist is one of those titles, but it is not what you are and who you are. You are a human, you are a father, you are a friend, you are a trainer, you are an athlete, you are all of these things, but you know, athletic therapy is just one of these things. And it's probably something that has been tricky for a lot of people, I think, to, to separate during this time being home so much, you know, someone who works somewhat of a corporate job where we, you know, they've been able to work at home. Like you are just the accountant because you wake up, you log into your computer and you are just doing accounting or whatever it is all day. And that is all that you are or, or one is. And I think that that must be a, a difficult thing to do, but something that's very over or very important to somehow overcome. And through a lot of the things that you teach and being a holistic human and taking all of the things into consideration is something that is just so important and really needs to be spread as far and wide as possible. Yeah. And it's a kind of a multi-tiered thing in, in the athletic therapy world. It's not a really well-known profession either. And so there's also this internal struggle within the profession to sort of like puff our chests up and like, make sure people know who we are. Cause everyone knows who this pra uh, practitioner is and everybody knows that there's a college of that, but what's an athletic therapist. And then it ends up being this, um, you know, for lack of a better term, it turns into a pissing contest. It's like, oh, I do those things. I do those things, but I'm not one of them. So don't you dare call me one of those. And for me, like that's all semantics. And so when people ask me for a definition of that profession, and I know that wasn't really the angle of the conversation, but just to get it out there, when people ask, what is an athletic therapist? Um, I tend to lean more into this caveat of uh, liaison to all things wellness. Uh, we can go medical, we can go paramedical, we can go emergency response, we can go mental health, we can bridge the gap in a lot of these places. And again, that's not to say that other practitioners can't, but never once will I say I'm like that but I do this or I don't do this. It's it's more of like highlighting what we can do and all of the places that we can fit. And I think that goes for every profession. And so when it comes to identifying ourselves as, as that accountant or that trade, um, it takes a lot to step back from that and see ourselves. And sometimes it takes somebody else to show you that you are that much more, you know, I've had a lot of great conversations in sort of this uh, rebirth of myself from somebody who had a very structured salary, very structured clientele working in a team setting or in a university setting to now sort of freelancing, consulting, whatever we're going to call it, uh, educating, empowering, and, and really just having conversations like this that, that hopefully um, can shift the dynamics a little bit in terms of what a practitioner is and what a practitioner can be, because that's also been a major move in terms of where I see things in the healthcare system, where I see things as an athletic therapist, a strength and conditioning specialist, like the ratio of dependence is something that I lean on heavily in terms of if I evaluation, self-evaluation as a practitioner and, and the less dependent clients or athletes or other human beings are on me, the better a practitioner I am. Um, is that a business model that somebody would look at and say, this is going to be scalable, throw it away. That's not for me. I'm, I'm not looking for scalability. I'm looking for universality, total totalitarianism in terms of application as far and wide as possible. And 
I just think it's backwards when we're reaching in people's pockets to to fill our wallet instead of reaching into people's pockets to to fill them up, you know, and, uh, and that's where it's at. And that's kind of a, a nice little summation, I think, of all the things. But um, yeah, no, uh, this single identity thing, I think we could get into as well. And like the singular identity has been highlighted through through the pandemic, through COVID. Um, a lot of us sit back and and complain or look at this as as being stripped of something uh it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of consistency to shift that to what can this provide for me and as a reflective period there hasn't been one in my life greater than this and to sit back and look at this as yes a lot of things have been stripped away but what has it granted us um in a lot of different areas so um we can dive in anywhere you want to go with this one i, I feel like it's the middle of the day uh, i've been in kindergarten all morning and uh just happy to get out have some adult talk here and and wherever you want to take it yeah for sure no that's that's beautiful you said a lot of things there and i want to come back a little bit later to the the athletic therapy and kind of like manual practitioner discussion but i think a, maybe a nice place to start is in that in this transition period of you coming back from the Caribbean sort of mid height of pandemic and sort of this rebirth that you speak of, I think that, you know, it's, you can call it, some people might call it unlucky trying to start something new in the middle of when everything is done, you've taken advantage of it and run with it as far as you can. And it's going to go very like way, way farther. And that's been amazing. So what are some of the things, or let's even take it one step back. Tell me about that transformation journey that your time in the Caribbean, I, Forgive me, I forget the country that you were in. And I know yeah. it's one of the B's, but I can't remember. But <laughs> but tell me about that whole journey. Yeah, so it was the Bahamas. Um, we were living in Nassau, New Providence, and we spent a couple of years there. And um, that was a big shift for me. That was a big, and, and it's still sort of North American in terms of like, it's just off the coast of Florida. Uh, time zone was the same. Uh, culture, not drastically different. Um, all kinds of different differences subtly, but nothing major, you know, we're not changing time zones. We're not changing languages. Um, a lot of those things that I've been fearful of and, and I've been sort of North Americanized in terms of pro sport and university. And these are the jobs that you need to have. And these are the jobs that you see yourself as and have identified as. And so in going there, it was a big leap of, um, well, it just took a big effort in terms of sort of convincing myself and having these discussions that everything would be okay, that life can still go on if you leave um, said job title, said structure behind. Um, so that was the first part that in the moment was fairly scary, but fairly obvious that it needed to happen as well in terms of the point that we were at. And um just kind of looked at that as you have a three-year-old who can go and live in a different country with a different culture, learn some different things, learn about the ocean. We knew that there was sort of a holistic approach in terms of what they were teaching and teaching to the specific specifics of the region. Um, so that begun the shift and then doing something completely different. I was not in a, in a therapy room or a treatment center or uh, a professional space where I had a table and people were coming through the door to see me, or I had a roster of athletes that knew where to find me and what I did. So it was sort of recreating myself in a space of a, of a school, you know, from K to 12. And that eventually branched off into doing some work with the university there, doing some mentorship and some internship, just because I had a few more hours than I usually 
had here in North America. And, and I felt like I had something to give and I wanted to keep my brain and hands active as a practitioner. So um, Sasha Johnson is the head athletic trainer down at the University of the Bahamas. We talked before we even moved down there, made a connection. And then once down there it was an easy fit to go and spend, you know, three, six hours a week, just kind of hanging out in their clinic. And it turned out that, you know, I had had lots of opportunity and experience that ended up teaching them a few things and they definitely taught me some things. And then I ended up spending a whole bunch more time there. She, she was pregnant, had her uh, little boy and I took over sort of in a, in a mat leave role with some of the teams and, and overseeing some stuff. So things just kind of naturally blossomed. And, and that's where I had never really lived before because it was always like the next logical step, move from point A, point B, then C, then D, and make sure you go in this order in order to get to where you want to go versus all of those points are on the map, but you don't have to do them in any order and you don't have to follow sort of some, uh, some externally validated or even internally validated system to tell yourself that you're being successful. And, and that's the other shift is like, move away from success and move towards progress. And if you're growing and learning, and challenging yourself every day in some form or facet, one breath, uh, an incline hill run, kettlebell of 900 pounds, whatever you wanna take, if you're challenging yourself every day, you're growing. And if you're growing, you're progressing. And if you're progressing, you're succeeding. So when we start to get into that, so long story longer, I mean, in our time there, I ended up um, having a summer off. My wife had a summer off at the same time. And they, my, my wife and son flew back to Canada. And I had an opportunity to, to go to an ashram and study yoga. And if I'm being honest, it's beating a bit of a, a drum because I, I mean, I went to the yoga ashram, to be quite honest, to, to make a little bit of money, teach yoga as I knew it um, going in. Uh, while we were living in the Bahamas and and three days in that shifted dramatically that shifted to uh, this is going to be an investment in something far greater than making money and and out the other end of this you know all intensive full immersion teacher training course at the Shivananda ashram on Paradise Island in the Bahamas I've grown more than ever before and have been able to put pieces together in the science side of things and my connectivity to uh, humans and the universe, you know, far beyond uh, anything that I would have imagined before doing that. You know, I broke down in tears. I, I learned how to do uh, all kinds of different things that I never knew to do before, including, you know, giving up that morning coffee and not having coffee for a month, like simple things like that to, to, um, you know, learning a bit of Sanskrit and how to chant through through kirtan and and you know music and how to meditate and how to sit and how to how to be a little bit gentler with the self and know that I think those external validations and again I use that as like a negative term I think there's some reality to that obviously but those don't have to be the be all and end all and nor does our internal compass our internal compass can guide us but but there's no right and wrong if we're following what we feel is true and what we feel is is sort of passion driven and um and that's kind of i guess the reflection on the two years is that the reflection on the reflection is the reflection <laughs> so it's been a lot it's been a step back from being you know get that shoulder better faster than anybody else in this uh in this realm uh get that athlete better quicker so they can be back in six days instead of four the next game is in five days you better have this guy or girl ready and uh, um, that's still very present in terms of what I'm doing with training but there's just an added element of, of connectivity um, that stands out far more than it ever has before. 
for sure. And I think that's probably so relatable to everything we do and just bringing everything full circle because even taking it back to the athletic therapy, it's like, well, we're taught in school, you know, you do ABC and that's what we do. Well, what about all of this other stuff? And I imagine that, you know, years ago, you would never have imagined yourself to be going to yoga, to an ashram, to, to do these things. And, but when you start to make those, those steps of progress, step out of your comfort zone, little by little, each step doesn't seem that much greater. Like going to the Bahamas was a huge one. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there was a, a mm -hmm. trigger or several triggers that kind of led to that. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, going to the, to the ashram was kind of just like, well, it wasn't as big of a step as the previous ones were. And then every subsequent step is a little bit less scary. And this just goes to that, you know, the progress is the success, like you say, and, and doing it is, is doing the thing, taking those steps, making that growth. And that is what we should be doing. And there is no end to this. I, I think I said this with Matt last week as well, but it's like, there's no, there's no end to it. You don't just, okay, I became a yoga teacher. Uh, now what? You don't just, life is not over, right? And then even deeper into that, the superficial layer, if you want to call it, just going to the to the ashram to you know have another stream of income coming in. That's okay. It's still a progress. And then you take what you what you will from it. But that superficial, again, in air quotes, kind of motivation, there's nothing wrong with it. And I think that's something that we kind of miss going with these extremes, especially in this age of social media. Oh, you know, don't, <laughs> don't work out to, to get a six pack. Well, okay. Maybe that's not your whole existence for exercise, but if that's part of it, like there's nothing wrong with that too. Just open your eyes to the whole picture. Right. And I think probably that's a lot of what you took is just open up and let's, let's look at all of the things here and how can we bring this back into our Western, you know, North American society and, and kind of build all the things together to make better humans. Yeah, exactly. And you summed it up nicely. I think um, some big steps, some small steps, but but really just the reflective piece of, of the whole thing. And um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. If I could get a six pack and do some workouts through that, I'm all in on that too. But I don't think uh, it's in the works right now. So we shift my focus to the things that I can control, shift my focus to, I mean, I could control that if I, if I eliminated some other things, but listen, I like, I like the Timbits. I like the, I like the coffee. I like the things um, it's, it's a little bit of sort of playing for the tie, making good decisions where you can make good decisions and, and investing in the things and the, and the people and the places that, uh, that make a difference in your life and that light you up a little bit, you know? If, if the birthday cake Timbits are the things that light you up, like as long as it's not your crutch and it's not your only thing that lights you up, then I think we're going to be okay. Um, all, all things aside, but yeah, no, some, some really cool pieces that you pull from that too. And, and, um, I'm not the first one to do this. I'm not the first one to sort of find myself, but, um, in talking with you and in talking with Matt, um, I'm, I'm a little bit older, you know, and, and, um, to find it at this point, I've looked back being like, man, I've missed out on so much, you know, to this point in my life by not having this. And then in the next breath, oddly enough, through meditative practice and mindfulness and awareness, um, looking at that and being like, well, hang on a second, why are you beating yourself up about this? It took you to this point. So all of those experiences along the way have in fact contributed to where you're at today. So what was it like Oasis or something? I don't know if that's before your time. So like, don't look back in anger. Um, well, don't look back in anger, you know, look back and, and, and look at how far things have changed and that's okay. You don't have to be the vision that you had of yourself even two minutes ago or two breaths ago. You, you just have to be, um, and you don't even have to be, but my awareness now is to be present as often as possible. And if that's three minutes a day, then that's three minutes that I'm fully alive and fully um, invested in what I'm doing and the people in the environment around me. And, 
um, I, I, that's, that's life, you know, that's fulfillment in, in my books right now. Yeah. Like you said, there's not, um, there's not like, there's not an, an end to it or there's not, or sorry, there's not, not to play the comparison game, but you know, many people go through life, never having taken that single breath, never having had this reflection, this awakening, if you will, uh, at, at any age. And, you know, it, it will progress. Maybe, you know, Matt and I are a little bit, uh, lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it, that we've uh, kind of somewhat stumbled into it a little bit earlier than, than maybe most. Um, but aside from that, it doesn't matter what you do when you're 20, when you're 10, when you're 80, it doesn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. as long as you, you know, you get there or do something with it at some point and then live the rest of the days, uh, in that way. And, and that's, I think the, the beauty of it. And then, and then sharing it with others, because it's, it's cool when you kind of realize it for yourself, but it's, it's cooler when you can help someone else realize it. Uh, it's fan it's phenomenal and, and listen like achievements and things like that have, have 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 their own merit you know i wanted to work for the blue jays i got to work for the blue jays in that moment i wasn't like maybe as as quote unquote aware as i am now but like that was pretty damn cool that i achieved that and there was a lot of positivity that came from achieving a goal and having those things so it's not like going through sort of this passive life and just sort of floating through it but at the same time i think um for the life stage and the things that are happening right now in and around us um awareness is certainly uh, a large factor in, in in everything that i'm doing that we are doing and um yeah i i i, I I don't know. I guess it's like a coming of age, right? I don't, I don't know what to say if it's an awakening or what it is, but I'm still navigating it myself. And the, and the bizarre and exhilarating part of it is I'm going through it, but at the same time, I'm able to watch myself going through it. It's like this bizarre sort of parallel happening at the same time where I'm experiencing all these things for myself. I'm coaching other people with this stuff through my own experiences, but learning from theirs and with theirs as well. And so we come at this on any number of levels, but the experience of humanness is, is, is pretty awesome when you, when you can reflect a little bit. For sure. That's, that's part of the beauty of it, I think, is that we never reach um, this, you know, enlightened state. You're not the Buddha sitting on top of the mountain, you know, floating up there. You know, we're learning. Maybe, maybe you know, you're slightly ahead in the in the journey of a client or or friend or someone you're speaking to, and we can learn from them too. And we all kind of continue to grow together. And but understanding that you don't have all the answers, you don't know all the things, and that you still have to grow gives you that space to continue to grow. And and the same would be even like less technical in an athletic therapy setting. You're working on a shoulder and you know, someone comes to you with a shoulder problem that you've never seen before. If you are sitting there thinking, well, I'm the best athletic therapist, I'm the best shoulder fixer in the world. Well, what about this shoulder? What about this one? It, mm -hmm. it, you can't solve that problem. And so having that humble approach, that open approach to it to say, oh, maybe there's some other things I can learn. Maybe there's another piece of this that I was previously missing that that will take you a long way. The second you kind of think that you've made it is, is when you're done. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just play off. That's a beautiful segue. Cause I just reflecting back on, uh, I spent a lot of time in baseball, you know, as an athletic therapist and, and doing some things and played baseball growing up and, uh, all kinds of different parts in the game and the sport itself. But that shoulder analogy is great because, uh, when I was working at York university as a therapist, I had a guy walk in and, and, um, he wasn't a student, but he was part of the staff. He was a sports psych guy. I actually spent a lot of time in the Maple Leafs organization before he came over to York and he came in and he had, uh, he was about to have an operation 
And he's like, Hey, I heard you're the shoulder guy. And I was like, well, I mean, I have two shoulders. Um, so I, I guess that makes me a guy that has shoulders, but I'll be the shoulder guy. Sure. And he said, I got to have this operation. It, it's called a total reverse shoulder replacement. And I looked at him like, yeah, bang on. I got this. No problem. Never dealt with one in my life. You know, had obviously heard of the surgery, can understand the mechanics of it and go back through it. And, um, I guess it's this intrigue, right? It's this constant desire to learn. And again, coming back around to like challenging ourselves. And I was like, all on board for this. It's like, when's your surgery? Oh, it's two weeks away. Okay. So I got like 13 and a half days to just jam my brain full of ideas and how we're going to work with this and contact the surgeon and, and learn about this. Right. And, and not, not in the name of being the, the shoulder guru or anything like that, but in the name of helping this other human being to navigate this, uh, this space in their life so that he can pick up his grandkids again and, and swing a tennis racket to a certain degree and, and a golf club and, and all the things that he had stated that he wants to do and be able to continue to do following uh, a very traumatic surgery. Right. And so just to, to geek out on that is that you're taking the humerus, you're sawing off the rounded end of it and turning it into a concave surface. And then we're putting, you know, a titanium uh, bulb into the, into the concave surface of the shoulder blade and making that convex. So you're reversing the entire dynamics of the upper limb and, uh, and the rehab is such that follows, you know, not only the uh, invasive procedure, but now reverse the reverse the role of sort of the rotator cuff and understand what the deltoid now has to do and and remember those traps that we didn't want dominant in overhead lifting like guess what you need to be dominant in overhead lifting so then you have to unlearn all of the things right you just said reverse yeah reverse your train of thought and try to figure this one out and and so um yeah i don't think i, I mean i i would next i would guess that you didn't know about that surgery it was really cool that you kind of went there with that analogy and and it rings so very true and so um, in that moment, I was very sort of, you know, scientifically driven and, and therapeutically based and uh, similar to where I'm at now in terms of like just wanting more of that moment, you know, more of, of that success or progress in that space. And um, I think it's just kind of shifted subtly over to, to where we're at now and the things that we're sort of connecting on are a value and, and set of principles that are based in experience but they're also based in identifying some things that didn't work for us when we reflect on what we were doing as therapists or what athletes were going through and what wasn't being um, either talked about and not deliberately on anybody's part, but just not, not being addressed until you get a little bit older and you can self-advocate or, or look back and say, imagine if. Well, let's stop imagining and go back into those spaces and make change, you know, make the change, be the change that, you know, it's that old cliched saying of be the change that you want to see, um, be the voice you want to hear, be the practitioner you wish you had, the coach you wish you had, because we have that opportunity. That's what life is, is, is giving back, is giving more of yourself. But all of that also starts with the self. So it's a nice sort of piece, you know, you got to start within, you got to use the oxygen before you help somebody else, all the cliched pieces. Like, I don't mean to make light of it because I truly am attempting to continue to live that way. You know, by, by understanding myself, I have a better understanding of how I can help others. I feel I also have a better understanding of others and what they may be going through. It's that, it's that piece or that delicate balance of 
of the ego and not letting it take <laughs> over, but being able to control it. It's, I don't, I don't agree with many of the people who say that it is the enemy, like the book is titled, but in that book, it's not really what he means. It's just no. you know, fancy title to sell it, which is great, but it's not evil. It's just something that we need to control because if you don't have this drive, this ego to like, go get the thing, go learn the knowledge, go do that thing harder than anybody else or harder than you've ever done before, you, you there won't be any growth there. It's just kind of, you're just kind of coasting through it. Right. One yeah. Thing- yeah. Yeah, I, I, just to just to that point is like, the, yeah, the ego in a negative sense and the ego in a positive sense. This is the way that I see it, you know, selfishness in a positive way and selfishness in a negative way. If it's impacting others negatively, then it's not a great thing. But if it's impacting others positively, then be as selfish as possible, like grow yourself because it's going to uh, reverberate out into your environment. And, and, and the word that I'm also kind of hesitant to use is is that control right like i don't want to gain control or grab control of my ego but what i do want is to be aware of it because if i'm aware of it i can sort of i can guide and navigate and work with it as opposed to like this arm wrestling match right like we did that i think we did that um in the recalibration workshop that that little exercise of holding on to something as hard as possible and trying to peel it apart with your other hand and then stop trying to peel it apart and just place it on an open palm and watch what happens because it's going to release on its own, on its own accord, on its own time. And so um, uh, not that control is a bad word, but I just, again, the language that I use and what it does to my body when I use it and and my, my responses, uh, I think is just, it's amazing. It's so powerful. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I agree with that. The control is not really, yeah, you want to guide it. I think I I like that a lot better. One thing that I was going to come back to just with that surgery is something, um, you know, a surgery like that is a very, I don't, again, I don't know the surgery, you know, but it's very dramatic, very invasive, very big Mm -hmm. deal, very long recovery, difficult recovery, I imagine. So someone who is not um, a professional athlete at the time of receiving or having that procedure done there, the, the recovery process is, uh, is difficult. And I would think it's because they have less of like, an understanding of what the end goal is in terms of wrapping their head around what the rehab process is like and why they're even doing it. An mm-hmm. athlete is is able to easily, in air quotes, easily pull that, okay, I need to do all of the things, the rehab things so that I can get back on the field. That's very you know, kind of black and white. Someone who is not a professional athlete who wants to be able to pick up their grandkids in 20 years from now, that's kind of like a harder thing to wrap your head around. And mm-hmm. so where, where I kind of want you to take this is what are some ways that you now have coming back from this and this, you know, this journey and this self introspection, how do you implement these into your clients or patients who are non-athletes that don't have that very obvious kind of uh, motivation to get back to themselves? Yeah. Um, a great question. And you know, with that in particular, that case in particular, it was it was pretty straightforward in terms of every human has goals. Every human is having surgery for a reason, whether they understand it or not. In terms of the procedure, um, I want to be. He already had grandkids. You know, he was in his seventies, so or late sixties, and so he he already knew that. And he said, "I want to be able to do this without having to put them down because my shoulder can't handle it." Um, I, I got asked this question on Sunday. I, I had an opportunity to present at the um, Royal Chiropractic College, um, Royal College of Chiropractic Sports Science Division. They had a conference on the overhead athlete. And, and one of the questions came in as like, 
now that you're not working with only professional athletes, how do you differ between that athlete who needs to go out and pitch, um, you know, on a major league roster for millions of dollars versus um, the woman that, that wants to go out and pitch in beer league. And I said, you know, it's a, it's a different conversation, but it's also the exact same conversation. It comes down to knowing who's on your table to understanding what their goals are and what's their motivation behind doing what they're going to do. And if we can harness a little bit of that, that compassion, that empathy, that understanding of the human being that's on the table, the rehab pretty much writes itself. If you have the scientific background, the physiology, the physiological understanding, you understand what the surgical procedure is going to entail. You understand what the quality of the tissue is, what the, what the qualities of the human being are in front of you. And, and again, it comes back around to having the hard conversations. So before surgery, um, when I was younger, there wouldn't be any conversation. It would be the dialogue between the surgeon and the athlete and then, okay, they're having surgery. And then you see them after, but now if there's an opportunity to have an intervention prior to, like, do you understand the ramifications of this surgery? Do you understand that the surgery will fix the tissue that's damaged, but it may not fix the actual issue, the contributions that have led to this point. So there are some things that are going to have to change. And so again, flip it on its head. And what can we deliver as practitioners? We can deliver education, we can deliver optimization, and we can really take some time to revamp lifestyle. You know, if, if my shoulder's not able to move for the first four to eight weeks out of surgery, can I do some work on the hips and the core? And is that beneficial to the shoulder? Indirectly, yes, but absolutely directly too through fascial chains and all these different things and neural drive and neural uptake and responsiveness of the brain. So um, I don't know if I skirted the question a little bit, but um, I think in delivering it to the human being as practitioners on the quote unquote healing side of things, like I'm no healer. I'm no guru. I, I'm simply a bit of a roadmap. You know, I, I am the modality but you are the answer, you know, you are the director of everything that's going to happen. And, and to the point, like, if you're not going to put in the work as a client or as an athlete, I'm at a point now in my career, where I can say, okay, like you need to find somebody else to work with because your success is yours. It's not mine. It's together. It's ours. But ultimately the ratio looks like 90, 10 practitioner dependence to, to independence. And as this goes along, if that doesn't invert, to 1090 by the end of a rehab, like what are we doing? We're creating dependence and you can look at dependence in poor habits and you can look at dependence in, in good, strong habits and, and just go with wherever that word takes you. Because if I'm a practitioner and I'm creating um, dependence, it's broken. It's a broken system. I want independence in, in the other person. So when they walk out, they're a bit more of themselves. They understand a little bit more. They have their goal written on their mirror and every day they're looking at it because they see their face with their goal, right? They see their grandkids and they're like, ah, four months from now, I gotcha. You know, um, those kind of things are, are just as powerful as the $10 million paycheck. Yeah. And anyone who's, who's been through a major injury or surgery will, and and also had the pleasure, the luck of having a good therapist, whatever type of therapist that was to to help you through it. We'll know this. I know that I for sure had this with my knee injuries and the plethora of them. I had my fair share of therapists who were just like, okay, come here, ultrasound this, pull this, push this, go home, come back next week. 
Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, okay, never really solved the problem. And I kept getting injured, obviously. And then, you know, finally, uh, the therapist who I did work with, which is actually an athletic therapist, not that again, the title matters, but just to (laughs) pump up the athletic therapist. They they are out there. They do exist. She, she was the first one who like taught me like, okay, this is why X, Y, Z is happening. And this is the process that we're going to take. This is what we're going to do today, but this is what we're going to do, you know, a couple of weeks from now, a couple, you know, whatever. And these are the things that you have to do to Mm -hmm. make the things happen because I can only put my hands on you for the hour or whatever that you're here. And then that's it. You've got to do the things on your own. And then that's when I started actually improving and and whatnot. And I did require surgery and, but then all of the process recovering from the surgery uh, was the same with her. And, and, you know, very thankful for her to, to have gone through that. But the, the disappointing thing is that more people, more therapists, physio, chiro, athletic therapists, osteo, whatever, are not uh, trained in this way. And it's, I guess it's a shortcoming of, of the education system or whatnot. The education system can't possibly teach everything. Otherwise, we'd mm-hmm. be in school for 30 years before, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be no practitioners around. But yeah. what are some of the ways that you think that, you know, young therapists or, or people who are therapists now, young or older or whatever, can start to sort of implement these things and wrap their head around these things and look for education on this kind of stuff? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. Um, I've had an opportunity in this last sort of six months to, to work at Sheridan College with the fourth year athletic therapy students. And the one thing that I I hope some, if not all, will take away is that there's a lot of sexiness out there on the internet. There's a lot of education that you can pick up in terms of anatomy or, or courses that everybody's doing or movements that become, you know, deadlifts became the thing. Olympics lifts became the thing. Sprinting backwards became a thing. Nordic hamstring curls and then reverse Nordic hamstring curls and like whatever is trending, all of those things are going to ebb and flow. They're going to come in and they're going to go out. They're going to come in and they're going to go out as the trends allow it, as the science produces proof or disproof of those things. Um, so where do you make a difference and how do you make a difference? It's the connection with the human being. It's, it's the ability to understand who's on the table and what they need and how you can help facilitate that. Right. And where does that go in school? Again, like Sunday to a room full of, well, you couldn't see anybody because it was a, a zoom conference, whatever. So it was just a blank screen watching myself talk. But, um, the first slide that I put up in terms of the content was the biopsychosocial, emotional, or spiritual model. And it's something we learn about maybe in like first year kin or second year kin or first year chiropractic college, or whenever people are learning it, um, we touch on it, but we don't hunker down and see its true value because that is interwoven into everything that we're doing. Right. And, and, and myself included my first, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years as a practitioner, it was about tissue heels like this, this magic wand can do this much. These exercises do this athlete needs to be able to get this much range. The anatomy says it goes from here and goes to there and does this when they do that action. And that's great. And that will get athletes to the precipice. That'll get them back to where they want to go. But then what? Do they break down again? Maybe, maybe not. But have we gotten them better as a being, as a human? We've educated them certainly and not to to bash on this too much, but like, through my own experiences, because that's where I can share from. I look back at my rehab and say, how could I be better? It's never, I wish that I had put that athlete side lying instead of supine or ultrasounded a little bit longer or used a kettlebell instead of a band. Like it's always 
how could I have connected deeper? How could I have known that athlete as more than number 89 on a jersey? So that when I go to his celebration of life, because he passed away before me, I see the human being on a level that I never saw as a practitioner on the sideline. And it's, it's maybe events like that that take us a little bit into an awakening and a little bit of a, a wow, like this person had a lot of impact in a lot of people's lives. And, and in the role that I was in, in the role that a lot of practitioners are in, maybe that's not at the forefront. You know, if, if patients are coming through the door every 30 minutes, you're more bombarded by, you know, a busy schedule than you are in your ability to, to make a difference. And you don't have to make a difference with every conversation, but the overarching theme or foundational piece from the bottom up, which makes a little bit more sense as a visual to me is, is that biopsychosocial model. And if you have some investment in, in sort of psych and, and in my case, like mindfulness and meditation and, and yogic holistic views, man, if you went back and talked to me six, seven years ago, 10 years ago, this is not the same person that you're talking to. You wouldn't have caught me at an ashram. You wouldn't have said, you wouldn't have caught me thinking that like sitting still was a good idea, like none of this stuff. Right. And so um, if there's any little part of, of wisdom that I can impart is, is do all the courses, understand yourself and what resonates with you as a practitioner, you as a human being to make yourself better. But at the same time, know that you're only as good as your connection with the other person. Yeah. That's, that's so beautiful to say. And I think, it's, it's also the hardest part from the practitioner standpoint. And this certainly goes for trainers and coaches as well. It's like the, the technical knowledge is, is great. We all know it. you know, 90% of us know it. There's obviously mm-hmm. some people who are not that good, whatever 90, you know, everyone knows the, the things, but how do you connect with that person? It's not about how do I get this person to do a bicep curl? I can teach a bicep curl to anybody, but will they actually do it with intention with yeah. the, the proper, you know, things that need to be done? Will they mm-hmm. do the rehab the proper way? And will they believe me in, in what I'm, what I'm teaching as a, pra- not that I'm a practitioner, but as a practitioner to, to do the things that they need to do to help them. I think about my grandmother who, you know, back pain and, you know, whatever she goes to see a chiropractor regularly. And, and I know this and she doesn't know this. My mom knows this and, and her chiropractor, I'm sure knows this. The treatment for her is he basically kind of like sets her up and, you know, rub this, touch this, you know, whatever, but he's not really doing a whole lot, but for her, it's in her head that she's sure. going to get treatment and that's totally okay. Like she's fine with it. Like it's all good. I'm not saying it's a bad, it's very, it's a very good thing. But the, the physical side of it is not what she needs. She doesn't need adjustments. She doesn't need the treatment from him. She just needs to know that you know, someone's taking care of her and someone's there to, to, to talk in that setting and that he's a professional and all these things. And that goes such a long way in just understanding humans because that's what, mm-hmm. that's, that's what it is at the end of the day is we're all just trying to, trying to figure this out and, and be, be more of ourselves, right? Yeah. And there's, listen, there's benefit to that too. It's not to say that I have all the answers. I'm just talking again from, from my experience and, and from, uh, this is the beautiful part about having conversation and listening, you know, it's so odd to be on this side of the mic and, and well, I'm always on this side of the mic, but this side of the conversation <laughs> where, where I'm a guest and not hosting, because I learned so much from other people's experiences and from their stories and their journeys and their paths and their vulnerabilities and, and what they see as weaknesses are actually their strengths. And when, you know, we can refine and redefine ourselves so many times throughout the course of a life, um, 
but expertise lies in your story, right? Like you're the, you're the expert of your story. I'm the expert of me, my story. And, and expertise never falls on deaf ears because it's going to resonate somewhere. It's, it's, it's going to hit hard with somebody or, or piss somebody off. And I'm not for everybody just as, as everybody's not for me. And so there always has to be sort of some consideration to alignment and realignment and all of these pieces, but there's benefit to going. And if it hurts there to doing the thing that helps that hurt in that spot, right? There's, there's certainly benefit to that. Um, let's call it reactive care, but like reactive care still has its benefits. And, and so does modality. Like if I put an IFC machine on, we know that we can interrupt the gate theory, right? Like we can interrupt the pain cycle by introducing these electrical stimuli. So it's not throw it away and do it my way. It, it's utilize the thing because that's still knowing the person. That's still understanding that in order to get through to this person, I have to interrupt the pain signal that is directing their life or um, or that they are in tune with or identify as in a lot of cases of, of patients and clients is, is once that part hurts, that's who they are. That's what they are. Or they've been told that by the surgeon or by the athletic, whoever it is, it doesn't yeah. matter, but they identify with that piece. And, and so you have to interrupt some of the behavioral and habitual things as much as the rehab and, and to throw it back to the bicep curl, like still a good exercise. Right. But, but we throw it in as like a meathead exercise or just like, well, you're, if you're doing bicep curls, you're wrong. And then you're like, well, okay, you're wrong in what context or you're right in what context so it all really comes down to that contextual piece and and i think the context of it all is is the human being like I'm, i just can't say that enough right now because the space that we're in is is navigating towards understanding the human and understanding the experience and understanding that each human is going to experience receive perceive all of these things in their own way and so we're trying to beat people over the head with the right information. And, and all it takes is to look at science, right? Like science proves a lot of stuff, but the aim of science in certain lights is to disprove things. So if we're constantly chasing things around to disprove them, like where do we ultimately end up? So this, this sort of uh, spiritual uh, holistic kind of like, I don't know what I would have said 10 years ago, like out there, wooey kind of thing is 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 not just a trend it has value the energy that is resonated through you know positivity and connection so bring it back around is like to, to trainers to therapists like we're all doing our best as ourself in the moment that we're in but when we can be aware that the other person is doing that too it becomes a pretty powerful tool yeah i think one of the things a lot of people you know might be better off being a little bit careful of in terms of the science is that science does prove a lot of things. It does disprove a lot of things, but it doesn't, it is not the entirety of human knowledge or just because <laughs> it's not proven in a study or disproven. It doesn't mean that something is true or untrue. All yeah. the breathwork, breathwork things, the, the meditation, the, the holistic approach, these are hundreds or thousands of years old, just because we don't have a, a lab study that says, yes, this works. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work for, for yeah. any reason. And this was one of my beefs, I guess, if you will, when I was in chiropractic college for a brief stint, uh, I remember this one debate I had with a classmate and we were talking about a, an example of a case where, you know, patient comes in with a, an ankle injury and patient is demanding that you do some sort of cervical neck adjustment to them to heal their ankle injury. Mm -hmm. And so the, the question is, well, do we have any evidence to support that the 
neck adjustment is going to fix their ankle. No. So do you, what do you do? Do you argue with the patient or, and tell them no, or how do you like approach the situation? My thought was like, well, do your, all your assessments as you normally would. If it's, if they really in their head, for whatever reason, think that that neck adjustment is going to save them, save their ankle. Mm-hmm. And you by your assessment can, yeah. can think that it, that you deem it's to be safe. Then do it and then also do your other ankle stuff, whatever you would normally otherwise do. But why why fight them and cause this like this friction between patient and practitioner? And I remember, you know, having debates with classmates and whatnot. One uh, one classmate in particular kept saying, well, no, it's not evidence based. We can't just do things because, you know, we can't. And then I said, well, we go in in the lab every single day and we just adjust the crap out of each other. We when none of us have issues, we're just hammering away, cracking our bones left, right, and center 15 <laughs> yeah. times a day. Like right. this is not we're not gonna, we're not gonna, you know, assuming all things are good, we're not gonna break the guy's neck by doing an adjustment. We know what we're doing. Um, but it just comes back to this whole like, you know, knowing the person. If that patient wants that thing, assuming it's safe and all the other things, then then do that and think about the human first, the human element of it, the to healing their their pain, their illness, their strength. Um deficiency, whatever it is. And then, and then build from there and do the things that you know, as the practitioner to, to implement, to help them. Yeah. Within moral and ethical boundaries, right. And safety boundaries, I I wouldn't disagree. You know um, it's funny, you, you bring up examples and it's like, you've been in my life uh, for longer than you have, (laughs) you know, working with the blue Jays as an intern um, every spring training, you would have X number of, of, uh, of, of businesses, companies come in to try and sell their product, right? Because all the teams are in a, a, a fairly reachable radius and you can just come in and showcase what you have or drop off uh, uh, free samples or whatever the case might be in a very short period of time, um, not during COVID, I don't think, but um, when I was there, certainly. And, uh, and this is around the time that like holograms became a really big thing. And whether you buy into holograms or you don't, or you believe that there's science or you don't that that's up to you i'll leave that up to to you the individualist that's completely your call um but you know the guy walks in and he puts a a couple holograms on a belt and then a shoe and and he's talking to this catcher you know big six foot three catchers hit a bunch of home runs in his career maybe on a bit of a downturn getting a little bit older just come over to the organization and and he's like here do this you know puts the hologram on the belt puts a hologram on the back of the belt and then one in each shoe and says okay let's do this like this full can strength test right and and does this full can strength test he's like bam you are so strong and he takes the holograms out he goes let's do it again and bam, you're not quite as strong without those holograms. So what these do is they increase your strength. They increase this and do that and do that. And here's the science. Um, And then, you know, whatever it is, 20 minutes later, he leaves the room. And I walk over to the central uh, island counter, grab two pieces of gauze and put one in each shoe. And I'm like, let's do a test. And I put the gauze in and I was like, listen, this is gauze off the counter, but this gauze is also going to make you stronger. And I did it. And then he was stronger, took the gauze out and he was not as strong as when the gauze was in. And I, and then I just said, I'll leave it at that. But like, why did I do that? Like I, I disproved a placebo. What did I do? Like that placebo may have helped him hit 17 extra home runs that year just because it was a thing, right? That he thought was going to help him. Or maybe the holograms were really a thing, but maybe gauze pads are too. So like, let's get a logo on a gauze <laughs> pad and start selling these things. Maybe that was, maybe that I missed my calling, but um, it's interesting you bring that up because because it's true. If we can give somebody an advantage that's within moral, ethical, and safety boundaries, like especially in the human space, right? Like, like high performance 
Sure. And, but as humans, like if, if your grandma goes and she's like, I'm going to get treatment, I need this to feel better. There is some dependence there. Those are some things that could be broken down, but I, I'm guessing she's older than probably 65. And so like, there are some ingrained things there that need to happen and, and you're not going to overhaul core strength. You're not going to get her throwing kettlebells around or medicine balls. So you do the therapy that's required for that space. And that makes her feel better. Whether you're working on her right hip, her right shoulder, her jaw, the top of her head, waving your hands over her body and not even touching her like there's advantages to that part right to to all of those things so um I just reflect again on that, on that example at spring training and I'm like within the moment I like step back and I was just like man why did I just do that right like I, I was kind of just I was kind of like, cause everyone was like, no, I can't be real. And I was like, I'll prove that it's not real, you know? And, and there was no malintent on my part to sort of like show this hologram company they were wrong. But at the same time, like there's some power in those other pieces, right? Of, of the things that um, can help without maybe being the direct uh, link. Yeah, the, the placebo effect is real. And it's something that we should, uh, in my opinion, we should use more somehow. I don't know how to like, ethically do it in a medical setting where you know but whatever kind of separate separate uh, topic but i think one of the one of the slippery slopes of it though and especially in the pro athlete setting is like mm -hmm. okay so xyz big shot pro athlete starts using the holograms and then you know then he starts promoting them which fine business decision they work for him he hit more home runs it it, it worked for him by right. whichever means it, it did right but now you know uh you know joe smith who is going to buy it for his kid to do the hall to, to play baseball. And then, so now, you know, we got parents or, or young athletes, college athletes trying to do the thing. And, and in, in spite of, or instead of, you know, working on their training, working on their nutrition, working on their recovery, like doing yeah. all the things that we know are actually going to help them. And then financial reasons become a factor in this as well. You know, pro athlete buying those holograms, not going to make a difference to their life. You know, a, a father buying it for, for his son or for his daughter, you know, maybe that's a little bit more money than they should be spending or that money that could be better spent elsewhere on these things. And so mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like the slippery slope of these placebo kind of tools, but it certainly is not a bad thing. So long as you kind of do it with your, with your eyes open, anyone who has a, a lucky charm or a lucky you know, sure. thing that you do in your pregame ritual or whatever, you, you kind of know that it's not really helping you, but you believe it enough and, but you don't, don't get so dependent on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, like one of my mentors was on this, this conference on Sunday and, and he asked the question, um, commercialization of development, does that change what amateur athletics looks like and similar, right? Like as soon as money becomes involved, a lot of things change. So yeah, you're exactly right. Now we're talking about a different beast. So, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole and end up here for, for a couple more hours, but you're exactly right. And so, um, what's out there, what's real, what's not like, this is a time where content is exponential, right? Like there's so much content out there. It's hard to even from the pandemic, from people reporting on things, from, um, you know, exercises being done with their shirt on or shirt off. Like these are kind of things that we're, we're all privy to uh, so much every single day. It's, it's, it's hard to navigate, you know, but again, like if it helps you do more of that, if it lights you up, do more of that. If it helps you be a better version of yourself 
uh, with no harm to others, like do a lot of that because that's the shit that's going to keep you moving forward. That's the thing that's going to help your environment around you, others around you. And, and ultimately that is the progress, right? Yeah. And, and these are some of the hardest parts of trying to deliver the truth and spread the, the message of, of this truth and this holistic approach. And I'm sure that, you know, you experience your, your objections in, in with first star therapy and with performance wellness. And these things are not sexy. It's not like, Oh, you know, meditate like this, do your fingers in this motion. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to make it to the pros. Like that's not how it works. And you can't promise that because you would never legitimately be able to sell that right. or, or even say it with a straight face. Um, but, but it is what works and, and it is part of the challenge of, of growing through it. And, and when people do realize it, it does, it is a game changer for them for sure. Yeah. And it's about, listen, it's about consistency or whatever it is that you're trying to do. If you're, if you're not doing something with consistency, it's never going to change uh, long-term. It can change short, short-term, but uh, look at fad diets, look at fad trends in fitness, look at fad trends in anything. Um, if you're not doing things with consistency, then there's going to be a fall off at some point. So how do you build consistency? You start with, you know, bite-sized chunks and build up from there. And, and just as you touch on performance wellness, um, you know, Matt, you had on and, and we've aligned with performance wellness, which is sort of a, you know, mindfulness meditation and intentful movement for the human being to, to increase performance, to enhance more of the self, uh, a roadmap, uh, a toolbox that you can take away and use in your own world, in your own walk of life to, to make yourself better, more whole um, in whatever capacity you so choose. And, and, and just in touching on on that, you know, we have an opportunity this Friday to present for, with the Center um, for Innovation in Campus Mental Health. So we've kind of navigated over into this mental health space sort of um, without trying, you know, through connections and just through warranted value of what this is. And so if we can help in terms of providing a little bit more resiliency by understanding the self, we understand when we're getting to a critical point, good, bad, or other. And if we can see that a little bit earlier than when we're on um, on the ledge, so to speak, we're in a better position to make a decision. We're in a better position for resolve or to push through to get to the other side, right? So um, a really cool opportunity, and that's Friday afternoon um, that we're looking forward to. And then May 4th to 7th, we're, we're part of the State of Mind Festival um, to really, you know, uh, an old friend who's come back around and is a new friend again, Mike Stroh, who's a counseling psychologist, um, starts with me as his company. And um, yeah, so there's just some really cool opportunities, and, and we're in some discussion with some organizations and and colleges and universities in terms of where this can be utilized and and a lot of it is driven towards like this human first approach this this idea of not forgetting that when you strip him out of his jersey there's still a human with scars and wounds and other issues aside from not hitting the ball right that resulted in a in an own goal or something like that it goes far beyond that and and so the idea with all of the things that we're doing is that the thing that you're doing right now is not defining the thing that you will be three weeks from now, but it is defining the moment and it is helping sculpt what that next piece will be. Um, so when you're done athleting or you're done uh, office workering, you continue humaning. And so like, let's create tools that work for humans because we're all humans. Athletes are all humans. Um, and to take it one step further, like a lot of coaches and a lot of people who may not be open to like that side of things in terms of the mental health, um, the physical side of what we're doing is full intentional movement. So it's breaking down 
meditation and mindfulness, but like throw away the jargon, throw away the words, throw away the semantics. Like what we're doing is creating focus. We're creating intention. We're creating attention and resiliency in tissue, uh, in, in the neural kinetics of the body, um, and therefore creating more language within the self. So if I can provide a toolbox that provides you with more opportunity to find more of you, you don't need anything more than that to progress. Um, and with progress comes enhanced success on field and off field. And so that's where we're at. And we're really excited about the program. And um, I, I think, you know, if there's an opportunity to come and talk about this some more and, and, and look about this in the future, like, I'd love you, I'd love to have you on our podcast and talk about some of the things that you're doing, because um, I feel like it's completely one sided interview here. And and I often, you know, listen to your podcasts and, and watch your content on Instagram, because it aligns. It makes sense. It's, it's logical, but not only is it logical, it's passion driven, it's intuitive, it's intelligent. And, and these are the pieces that, you know, we don't need to jam this stuff down people's throat to show people that we're right. But what we do need to provide is the context. And I think what you're doing is amazing. The people you're having on the conversations that you're having, maybe this one aside, um, are, are providing context in a, in, in, in a, in a content heavy, um, day and age right yeah i'm sorry but yeah thank you so much for saying that i really appreciate it but um yeah my my goal kind of with with these podcasts is you know you say it feels one-sided but i'm kind of almost aiming for it to be like that i just want to create the space and hold the space for people like yourself to to deliver what you guys have to say because it's so powerful and not that i have some big following or anything like that but you know little by little kind of one conversation at a time like we'll we'll all continue to spread the message and and yes i would love to to continue this conversation and come on your show and and do all of the things and, and keep this going as much as i can um but I, I think just to just to go back a little bit, it's it's really amazing how how diverse the your guys' performance wellness platform has already gotten going into this mental health space. Like, yes, it's all connected and related, but we kind of tend to put these things in boxes. And I think that also goes back to speak to a little bit of about, you know, you were an athletic therapist and now you're also a yoga teacher, and now you're also excellent, you know, you wear many different hats. And so becoming almost like a specialist in a several areas and then a generalist, we have a lot of hardcore scientists who are very, very good at like one thing. There are increasingly more, but not that many people who are good at putting it all together. And I think that's the missing piece where great strength coaches, great nutritionists, great, you know, resilience coaches or, or psychologists, sports psychologists, whatever, but there are not that many people or organizations who are putting it all together. And I think that's really where the, where the magic lies and kind of like where you guys have, where you guys have found that, that niche, that's really going to make a big difference as, as, as far as it will, you'll be able to take it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think, I, I think so too, to be quite honest, and it's humbling to hear, but it's, it's exciting and exhilarating to experience um, because I've always sort of been a part of inter practitioner models, you know, interdisciplinary models where I'm going to work with the, all of those people that you just touched on and I have no ego involved. Um but I think there's a shift to like transdisciplinary approach, right? Like where we're all speaking the same language and we're all moving towards the same things. And that same language is, is you, it's the athlete, it's the patient. And like, if we're speaking with your best interest at heart, 
then, you know, squatting four days a week just isn't in the repertoire for said athlete, you know, and that's not the bad mouth squatting, but it, it is what it is. And, and, you know, I had an opportunity last night through our advanced recalibration workshop, right. Um, teaching alternate nostril breathing, which you experienced. It's, it's a thing. And um, that was my favorite one. Yeah. And, and a lot of people's favorites um, in terms of liking it, but I also look at it as a favorite if you hate it, because that's a big exploration. If you absolutely hate something and you can reflect on it and be like, why did I hate that? And what was it about that? Was it the uncomfortability of that? Like, a, there, or the uncomfortable, the level of, of discomfort in that? Um, because if I can lean into that a little bit more, then maybe I won't hate it quite as much. And look at that. Now I've just softened that relationship of hate, that language changed, my response changed. Anyway, in doing this last night, I was, I was leading it, but also reflecting on my time experiencing it for the first few times that I did it. And, and it's this amazing sort of thing of, of through one or two breath cycles, I can be completely calm and completely quote unquote in control and soothed and like, oh, look at me go. I'm going in one nostril. I can hold my breath and retain. I can go out the other. Look how smooth this is. And then in an instant, I can flip out of control into panic. My right shoulder starts barking. I get my, my nostrils stuffed. I can't, when's my next breath coming? Is this guy actually counting the 16? Like how slow are those seconds? You know, and, and it's this, it's this ebb and flow of experiencing uh, what it is to be human in this sort of seated exercise of, of, of this, you know, for me at least, and in maybe in the West, like this bizarre style of breathing, right. With those hand positions and the body in a certain way. And like, you know, air in and out of my nostril and closing off my breath and like, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's amazing. And, and it just kind of lights me up to talk about it and to experience it, but um, through my own, but also in now leading. And I don't think leading is a, is a one-way thing. Like I'm leading the session, but I'm learning so much from the feedback and the experience of others that are um, taking part in these. And performance wellness is about to, to, to take on a whole new level with a bunch of varsity athletes and um, working into the workplace as well, into sort of the corporate spaces and, uh, um, really looking forward to that because uh, it just, it, you touched on it earlier, like the opportunity to help others, the opportunity to give some of yourself and receive somebody else. Um, you have to be in a place to do that if you're going to enter that world. And when you're there, it feels uber rewarding uh, when, when what you give is received and what they are providing in terms of their vulnerability and their strength and all of those things you can receive because that is compassion, that is empathy, that is humanity. And so um, that's it, man. Creating more of you is, is what it's all about. And if we can guide that even one little iota, we're making a difference and it makes a difference on the side of the practitioner as well. Absolutely. And I would encourage anybody to engage in, in James's uh, recalibration course, the, the breathwork techniques are, they, if, if you've been introduced to any of these things at all, you, you may have kind of had pieces of them here and there, but doing it the way that James guides them so, so peacefully in such, in such a safe kind of space to really like go into it and, and be there at that moment, it takes on a whole different meaning. And, you know, in, in the West and in North America, and not that I'm any different, it's very easy to like push yourself hard. You know, I want to put more plates on the bar. I want to, you know, not me, I'm not the scholar, but, you know, study harder at school, you know, these kind of things to work hard. But how about like sitting here and breathing like that, that is difficult. That was really difficult. And it's just a whole new way of kind of challenging ourselves that that's more internal. And, and again, we've said it a hundred times and we'll could say it a hundred more is, is just to be more you be more human. 
Yeah, and and uh, appreciate that, and I'll just gracefully plug it. Uh, recalibration, yes, recalibration workshop. Our intro course, uh, which is a prerequisite to the advanced course, but uh, our intro course will run at the end of this month, April twenty seventh, twenty ninth, and then May first. It's at nine p.m. Eastern Standard Time, completely online, done from wherever you are. Uh, meet you where you're at. That's the idea. Um, and, and they're about an hour long session, and and you can find that at firststartherapy.com under courses, and then the intro recalibration that's that's where it kind of kick-started and and that one honestly spurred on the advanced course because a few people the first time around it were like can we do more can you do longer sessions can we do something advanced and um it's grown quite nicely and and that experience last night was part of the advanced workshop for april and um again like it's creating community because people who don't know each other from all over the world are coming together to breathe together and then share like huh that was really tough but I really needed that, or, you know, I didn't know that about certain things and, and their shares are equally, if not more valuable than the breathing techniques. So I appreciate the compliments in terms of the delivery that goes a long, long way for me as well, in terms of that softness and that kindness and that gentleness, because a welcoming space is a space that not a lot of people have either. And so creating that creates a sense of, you know, beneficial culture of community and that's what this is also about so you know anybody who wants to reach out and chat who's in this world or wants to understand it a little bit more i'm more than happy to to converse on this stuff and it starts with conversations like this daniel it's been uh it's been awesome getting on here and just i don't know i hope i didn't ramble on too long or or, or leave the path uh too far in order to come back to it no, to wrap this all. thing up yeah not at all no it's been it's been a pleasure as always and i'll include the links to the recalibration course and and um everything else in the um, in the show notes of this if you know if you're listening i'll just scroll through wherever you listen to this and you'll be able to click through there um and, and get in contact with james if you have any other questions or are interested in connecting with him further on anything else um where else can people find you on social and name your podcast and, and all that uh, yeah, so the podcast is First Star Let's Chat, uh, an athletic therapy roundtable that's through all the hubs and things like that. We actually just passed uh, 6,000 downloads, which I thought was pretty cool. It awesome. started, it, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. It started out like this, man. It started out like live Zoom calls. I didn't even know what a podcast, I mean, I knew what it was, but I had no idea that I could create something like that. <laughs> um, and, and it's really not me creating it, it's the guests that we have on and the conversations that are being had. But yeah, so that's First Star Let's Chat and, um, at, you know, Apple, Spotify. Google, you can find it all those places. Um, handle on Instagram is at firststar.therapy. That's uh, F-I-R-S-T-A-R. That's an acronym. So it's not first star, it's first star because that is an acronym, um, uh, which you can find on the website as well. Uh, and you can find through all of those things, Facebook and, and Instagram. I appreciate the plug, man. I, I'm really bad with this stuff, but yeah. <laughs> the social media stuff, it's still kind of embarrassing to say that I have all that stuff, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm still working through that, but um, I appreciate the opportunity again to be here and, and to sort of showcase this a little bit. I think I'm blushing just in doing so. So <laughs> no, I, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm getting a little bit more over the, the social media stuff. I mean, it's like, we talk about all this holistic stuff, but then also like follow me on Instagram and like my pictures. Like it's, it's so like, <laughs> it's so backwards, but it's just yeah. like, this is the, yeah. the way to, to communicate and, and the way to deliver things. But uh, no, thank you so much for your time, James. I, I know uh, I want to be respectful of your time and you got, you got other humans to take care of uh, over there. Um, oh, I don't know if I'm taking care. I might be being the one being taken care of at this point, but yeah, I appreciate that. Kindergarten awaits, right? Yeah, here we go. Back to it. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much, James. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll we'll chat soon for sure. I'll, I'll come on your show. We'll, we'll do more of these as performance wellness and stuff grows. And we'll, uh, we'll maybe we'll do a, a three-way one with Matt as well and, and go from there. Yeah, that'd be cool, man. Thank you again for everybody out there. Thank you for listening. Keep listening to DY. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure, man. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, that was just fantastic. This is certainly another one of those conversations where I just feel so elated after we get done with the conversation. It's so great to connect and share with really excellent people like James. And this message really needs to be spread as far and wide as possible to reach as many people as we can, because these are the things that matter. We can sit here and talk about training mechanics and nutrition and all this all day long, but these are the things that really matter. So if you've gotten any value out of this, if you there was one sentence that you that hey, uh, that connects the dots, that's the thing that I needed. Definitely share this with a friend. Let both James and I know that you liked it. Any feedback, positive or negative, is good. We're, we're trying to get better at all this stuff as well. So anything helps for sure. That being said, usual stuff. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on all of the places. Like, comment, subscribe, you know, whatever's reviews, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's it. Uh, we'll have everything in the show notes, all the links to the things that we spoke about as per usual. Um, and that's that. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.